Evidence and Answers. Mormons. We've all had them knock on our doors. Perhaps riding their bikes in your area, handing out information on their church. There are Mormon missionaries in almost every country. How is it that this religion that started only in the early 1800s has grown to be so large? Today on Evidence and Answers, Pat will be discussing the topic of Mormonism and how to share your faith with him, along with his guest, Bill McKeever. Without delay, here is Pat along with Bill now with part one of this interview. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we present the compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and provide biblical reasoned answers to the challenges facing Christians and our culture today. You know, 1 John 4, 1 states, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So Scripture commands us to test the teachings of any church or pastor or self-proclaimed prophet with the Word of God and to examine the evidence. Now, a prominent church that has arisen out of the United States is the Mormon Church or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Are they a Christian church or are they outside the realm of biblical Christianity? Well, to help us address this issue is one of the top experts on Mormonism, Bill McKeever. Bill McKeever is the founder of the Mormonism Research Ministry, a ministry designed to inform the body of Christ about the differences between Mormonism and Christianity. He's written extensively on Mormonism in his numerous articles and in his outstanding books, which include Answering Mormons' Questions, Ready Responses for Inquiring Latter-day Saints, Questions to Ask Your Mormon Friend, and Mormonism 101. And I got all three on my shelf. I recommend you get those if you want to understand and be effective in witnessing to Mormons. So, Bill, welcome to Evidence and Answers. Hey, it's good to be with you, Pat. Good to be with you. You know, also, Bill lives in Salt Lake City with his family, so he is daily sharing Christ with Mormons there. Well, yeah, Bill, I love being here, right yeah. in the middle of it. So your arguments and your evidence is here. It's not theoretical. I mean, it's battle-tested. You're out every day sharing with Mormons, aren't you? Yeah, we try to get out on the streets as much as we possibly can. And, of course, you're rubbing shoulders with Latter-day Saints continually. Plus, we have a daily radio show here called Viewpoint on Mormonism, and we get a lot of Mormons that listen to it as well. And occasionally they'll write us with some of their complaints, and we kind of save them up for what we call a Fan Mail Friday, where we will respond to some of them on air. But it's an incredible ministry here. We're seeing some great fruit. We're seeing a lot of people come out of the Mormon church. We are, unfortunately, though, with that, is we are seeing many of them also drifting into agnosticism or atheism. And I would say that Mormonism kind of breeds that. And what I mean by that is many Latter-day Saints, and this might sound very strange to your listeners that are astute when it comes to apologetics, but there's an expression that is used among some Mormons, and it goes like this, if the church isn't true, nothing is. Now, you and I would say that that's pretty nonsensical, really, since the Mormon Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is really the new kid on the block. And it's only been around since the 1830s, so for a person to say something like that, that there's no truth outside of the Mormon Church, just doesn't ring very well with us. So we try to get the Mormon to realize that certainly there can be truth apart from the Mormon Church. The big question is, is does the Mormon Church really teach truth, and how do they come to know that truth? Because in, in a Mormon epistemology, Their truth comes to them by a subjective feeling. They claim that they have prayed about it, and the Holy Ghost has revealed it to them. 
So when a person like you or a person like me goes up to a Latter-day Saint and starts to talk to them about some of these issues, if they don't feel good about what we are saying, it's not uncommon for them to attribute that negative feeling to your message being false. And, of course, that is certainly not the way we as Christians determine what's true and what's false. But for many Latter-day Saints, that's exactly what they do. So we kind of have to anticipate that when we talk to them, knowing that that could be. But I try to tell Mormons when they say, well, I don't feel the Spirit when you're talking. That's a common expression. And I'll ask them, I say, well, since we're coming from two different worldviews, why should you feel like what I'm saying is true? You don't agree with me. The point is... Let's put the feelings aside, and let's try to figure out what is actually true, what comports to reality. And when we start looking at a lot of the historical truth claims of the Mormon Church, as well as a lot of the doctrinal truth claims of the Mormon Church, we find that they don't conform to reality. They certainly do not conform to the biblical message. And even though they may have many Bible verses that they may point to, what we call proof text, oftentimes those proof texts are certainly taken out of their context in order to justify the Mormon position. But because a lot of people are coming out of the Mormon Church, or at least starting to seriously question it, we've been having just an incredible... I think last year was probably my most enjoyable year of ministry that I've had in a long time. We've had so many Mormons coming to us with real serious questions, and we've been able to minister to many of them over the past year. Like I say, it's just been great. Now, Bill, you stated several times that there are many leaving the Mormon Church. Now, tell us, what is the state of the Mormon Church? Because for us here in the islands, it looks like they're growing. And when we're watching TV, we had a Mormon running for president who almost won there. And when I'm in Asia, I mean, I'm running into Mormon missionaries all over the place, and in, in Africa as well. So you're saying many are leaving. What is the state of the Mormon Church, actually? Well, here's what's going on. Certainly the Mormon Church is still bringing in new converts every year. But if you look at the amount of converts that are coming in, and what I mean by converts are those baptismal converts. I'm not talking about those within a Mormon family where the child all of a sudden becomes eight years old and is baptized officially into the Mormon Church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about convert baptisms. If you look at the statistics of convert baptisms over the years, just going back to 1990, you will find a steady decrease of the convert baptism. And that's really giving us a good indication at how successful the Mormon Church is with the message that is being given to the public by the Mormon missionaries. Now, even though the Mormon Church, a couple of years ago, the leader announced, Thomas Monson, he announced that they were going to lower the age of the missionaries from 19 for males to 18, and down to 19 for the females, who before could not become missionaries unless they were 21. What that did is it provided a glut of new young people to join the missionary force. But even with this huge amount, this huge influx of new missionaries because of lowering the age, the convert rate didn't really compensate for that. So we don't see, even by having missionaries out there, that those missionaries are being, percentage-wise, that successful. 
Of course, they're easy to recognize by usually the white shirts and the black badges, although now they're starting to appear a little more casual in their dress wear. We don't see them even around here wearing suits and ties all the time. In fact, I saw a couple of missionaries the other day walking down the street, and they were wearing khakis and a nice sports shirt. Anyway, they're out there giving the message, and certainly they are making some converts, though not as many as you would think they would. But there, a lot of the Mormons are leaving out the back door. So you might see numbers of converts in various countries, but the big question is, is how many of those new converts are active in the Mormon Church after, let's say, 12 months? We find, according to the statistics, and these stats have been done by a Mormon who has a whole website on this, and he really specifies the fact that a lot of these new converts going into the Mormon Church probably will not be members of the Church, at least officially, or at least unofficially, I should probably say, because a few of them that come out get their name officially removed. Does that make sense? I didn't mean to confuse your listeners there. Oh, yes, it does, yeah. Uh Yeah, a lot of them will become inactive, but they will fail to get their name removed officially from the membership role. So the numbers are actually artificially inflated. But a lot of these people will not go back to the Mormon Church. And why is that? The Mormon Church has admitted that what is killing them when it comes to their retention levels is the Internet. The Internet, at least for us at Mormonism Research Ministry, has changed how we do ministry. I mean, it is completely different now. But that's why we want to utilize our website as much as we can with MRM.org and our blog site, Mormon Coffee, and things like that. It's because the Internet has been most effective in getting this information into the hands of the Latter-day Saint. Now think about it. Before the Internet was around, A person might have some questions about their Mormon faith. They would write me wanting more information, and I would have to send them an envelope with their name on it. And I can't recall how many times in those early years I was warned not to put our ministry name in the upper left-hand corner because this package that I was sending would be going into a high LDS area where the mailman was a Mormon, the postmaster was a Mormon, and they didn't want to be found out. They didn't want people to know that they were looking into this. So they would have me make sure I don't have our address on there. Well, the Internet changes all that, because now a person can search in the privacy of their own home and not be worried so much that the local bishop is seeing what they're looking at when it comes to questionable teachings about Mormonism. And that has just been a boon for us. So now Mormons are realizing that a lot of the Christians that have been talking about some of the problem areas of Mormonism, that what they're saying is actually true because the references are there, and sometimes you can even give links to the actual PDF or photograph of the page you're referring to. And Mormons are realizing that a lot of the things that we have been saying for decades is actually correct that we aren't lying like a lot of Mormons have said we've been lying over the years. We're actually trying to get the truth into the hands of the Latter-day Saints, and they're seeing this now. And so a lot of them are starting to have a crisis of conscience. I tell you, it's just last Saturday I was volunteering at Sandra Tanner's bookstore. She has Utah Lighthouse Ministry here in Salt Lake, and she has a bookstore that carries books on Mormonism, mostly written from a Christian perspective or critical of Mormonism. During the course of the day, I had three men come into the store. All of them were either members of record who were doubting or had just left the church. Three of them in one day. And Sandra says almost every day she's getting Mormons coming into the bookstore asking questions about what to do with this information that these people are finding. 
Wow. And so it is really exciting, and I want to encourage Christians, don't be discouraged. What is causing them to have questions is when Christians stick to their guns and challenge the Latter-day Saint in a Christ-honoring way about the things that they believe. You don't need to be obnoxious. You don't need to be arrogant. You just need to ask them questions about what they believe and just get into a conversation about it. So good things are really going on here, and I tell people it's a good time to be in Utah. It's a real good time. (laughs) Well, great. You know, in response to the Exodus happening in the Mormon Church. The Mormon Church has recently posted several gospel topic essays, you know, addressing some of the more controversial aspects of their history and doctrine. What do they cover, and why do you think that the Church has done this? Well, I don't have to guess, because Stephen Snow, who is the Church historian, the LDS Church historian, he admitted that the reason why these gospel topic essays were put together was because of the wealth of information that is on the Internet. And he said these were put together so that members of the church can have a place to go where they can hear the Mormon church's side of the story. Now, these gospel topic essays, as you've said, they cover a lot of ground, and they cover a lot of the more controversial aspects of Mormon history and doctrine. They are attempting, or at least appearing, to be more transparent than they have in the past. But even when I read these gospel topic essays, I find that there are a lot of things that they could have said that they, I think, purposely did not say, because they don't want to be too transparent. They do admit to a lot of things that they have not normally admitted to before, but at the same time, I think they're trying to dispel some myths with other myths. And and this can become very confusing to a person who has not really studied Mormon history and Mormon doctrine. One case in point. In December of 2013, the Mormon Church came out with a gospel topic essay that dealt with the prohibition for blacks to hold the priesthood. And it was called, it was titled, Race and the Priesthood. When I read this essay, I was really kind of shocked because what the essay tried to do was to blame the ban on those of African heritage from holding the priesthood in Mormonism. They tried to blame it on Brigham Young. And... They were trying to defend Joseph Smith and put the blame entirely on Brigham Young, as if he was the one that came up with this idea. The problem for them, though, is that prior to 1978, when the Mormon Church reversed its position regarding blacks holding the priesthood, leaders up in that, until that time, were insisting that it wasn't Brigham Young that started it. It was, in fact, Joseph Smith. Now, I will admit that it's difficult to find a primary source from Joseph Smith talking like that. But regardless, that's what Mormon leaders were saying. They were trying to make it clear, at least in their mind and to their membership, that it was Joseph Smith. He's the one that was behind this ban. And the reason why there was a ban was because in Mormon theology, they teach that we all existed as one of God's spirit children, before coming to mortality here on Earth. And the reason why we are here on Earth in a human body, in the skin color that we have, and in the location where we live, it was dependent on how valiant and how noble we were in our obedience and good works in that pre-existent state. So you see, everything in Mormonism has something to do with merit. And the reason why a large 
group of people were prohibited from holding the priesthood was because in the pre-existence, they were not as valiant as they could have been. And when there was this war in heaven, as they call it, between Lucifer and Jesus, Lucifer's brother, because in, in, in the pre-existence, we're all brothers and sisters, it teaches, but Jesus was chosen to be the savior of mankind. Lucifer didn't like the idea. He rebels against his brother and his father, Elohim, Heavenly Father, and he convinces one-third of God's spirit children to join him in that rebellion. They are kicked out of heaven. Lucifer becomes the devil, and all the one-third of God's spirit children that followed him became the demons. That's how the Mormon Church explains it. Lucifer and those demons, or those spirit children of Heavenly Father, will be banned to outer darkness come the judgment. And that's how they explain all this. This, this. That's in the Mormon scheme of things. But those who were not as valiant as they could have been, according to the teachings of several leaders, those who were not as valiant as they could have been would be allowed to get a mortal body on earth, but they would not be allowed to hold the priesthood which was necessary for to become a god in the next life. In order for the Mormon leadership to know who was not allowed to hold the priesthood, Mormon leaders taught that they were given a black skin. That's how the leaders would know not to give the priesthood to those individuals. They were not worthy. And that is what was taught by several Mormon leaders up until 1978. The amazing thing now, Pat, is if you ask some of these Mormons well, why were blacks not allowed to hold the priesthood, the answer they'll give you is, we don't know, God never revealed it. Even the leadership is saying that now. It's amazing to me because it's not that difficult to find sources from their own church that specifically spell out why blacks were not allowed to hold the priesthood. And there's numerous quotations, and we've included them in our books. We talk about this, because it's just amazing how the Mormon Church is kind of like, they've got this, what I call, doctrinal amnesia. They can't remember now. Gee, why were they not allowed? Gee, I guess we don't know. Well, they certainly knew before 1978. Yeah, yeah go ahead. When I'm in Africa, I'm amazed to see that there are Mormon missionaries there and Africans joining the Mormon Church that mm -hmm. uh, just don't know this history. That's true. They don't know this history. If those members were to ask their local leaders in those African countries, well, hey, I heard about this. What about that? They'll say, well, that was just folklore or speculation. It was not doctrine. That's what I'm hearing. The fact is it was doctrine. And, and we can demonstrate that quite easily on our website. We've got quotations showing. Specifically, there was a First Presidency message back in the 1950s that, that specifically said it was a doctrine. And besides, why would they need a revelation in 1978 to reverse this position if it was not a doctrine? Mormons don't normally need revelations to reverse policy. They change policy all the time. But they needed a revelation to change this. Why? Because it was considered doctrine. Back in 1978, I don't think there was much question about that, whether it was not a doctrine. But now in the 21st century, we're separated by decades since 1978, and you have a lot of new members in the church that have never heard of this before. And so I guess the Mormon leadership thinks it can get away with just acting as if they have no idea why God did it in the first place. In fact, I should probably reword that. A lot of the leaders are saying that it wasn't God that put it in, in place now, but God lifted it, which doesn't make a bit of sense to me. Yeah, you know, so we know that those of African-American heritage were banned from the priesthood back then. What about as Asians and Pacific Islanders? 
Oh, that's okay, because oh, yeah. you don't fall oh, okay. under that classification. <laughs> See, this is mainly for those of African heritage, what the Mormon Church used to refer to as the Seed of Cain. That was the group that was banned. But it did not include those of you know Latino heritage or Asian heritage or anything like that. It was specifically targeting only those of African heritage. You know, another issue that is addressed in our topic is the belief of Mormonism has long taught that all men and women have the potential to attain exaltation to godhood. And in this article, they defend that as a biblical teaching and taught by the early church fathers. What is your response to that? What they've done with this, Pat, is they've taken the Eastern doctrine of theosis, and they've tried to make it sound like the Eastern Orthodox teaching of theosis is similar to the Mormon doctrine of attaining godhood or exaltation. The problem with trying to draw a similarity between theosis and godhood in Mormonism is even Eastern Orthodox scholars have said that there is no comparison. You take some of the Eastern Orthodox scholars, and they've actually come out and said that, and used the word Mormonism. So we know they're making a, a specific comparison, and they're trying to show their, their people that there is no comparison between the two. But yet, the Mormon apologists continue to draw this parallel. I think, personally, it's dishonest, because these Eastern Orthodox scholars have clearly said that there's no distinction between the two, and it's been several years since they made those comments. So there's been plenty of time for the Mormon apologists to learn or read about this. I'm sure they've probably heard some of our rebuttals to those claims, but yet they still try to perpetuate this myth that people like Irenaeus and people like that, Clement and all that, actually believe like Mormons. And that's not true. You just, you can't draw that parallel. You know, Judaism and Christianity has always taught that throughout the Old and New Testament, there is only one God. And the early church fathers were adamant as that as well, as they were fighting paganism. Oh, so in order to get these guys absolutely. to support Mormon doctrine, you got, like you said, you've got to take them out of their context here. Absolutely. And, and you're right. Christianity has always been a monotheistic faith, but yet Mormonism certainly doesn't fall under that category. Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon movement, actually introduces polytheism to Christianity. Fortunately, a lot of the Christians during the time of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and those the guys that followed, they recognized the heresy for what it is. And this is just one of the reasons why the Christian community has not embraced Mormonism as a part of the Christian fold. Now, that's not to say that you won't find some ignorant Christians, and I mean that in the pure sense of the word. I'm not saying stupid, I'm saying ignorant. They just don't know. There are Christians who are not familiar with the teachings of the Mormon Church, who assume by some of the language that we share that maybe the Mormons are defining a lot of those terms the same way we would, and therefore there wouldn't be that huge separation between us. But when you look at the definitions of those terms, you find that they are speaking an entirely different language. And we would not share those definitions. For instance, who is God? Christians have always believed that God was always God, that God is a personage of spirit. Mormonism doesn't teach that. Joseph Smith said, we've imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. He goes on to say that God is a man like us. He's an exalted human being who has a body of flesh and bones. He lived on an earth similar to this one. He's the offspring of another God further back. Or that God was once a man who's the offspring of a God that was further back. This is not Christianity. And yet this is what Mormon leaders have taught. 
Now, whether your average lay member of the church understands all the intricacies of that doctrine, I can't say. They should, if they're faithful Mormons trying to learn what Mormons are supposed to believe. But I don't doubt that a Christian may come across a Latter-day Saint that may not know about this. But what I find odd is when I challenge Mormons about some of these issues, it's not uncommon for them to deny what I'm saying as if I'm lying about it even though they've never taken the time to even look at the reference that I'm pointing to. And sadly, a lot of Latter-day Saints do that. They'll automatically assume what you're saying is false because they don't feel good about what you're saying. So there certainly are huge differences between us. And one of the purposes of what we try to do is to educate the body of Christ about what those differences are and so that they will have a clear understanding when they do talk to their Mormon acquaintance, whether it be at work or a family member, whatever the situation might be. We want Christians to be informed so that they can have an intelligent discussion with their Latter-day Saint friends. Otherwise, if you don't know the terminology differences and you're talking with your Mormon friend, you're talking past each other. You're not communicating. And that's unfortunate. It's unnecessary. It doesn't need to be like that. That's a great point that you make, Bill, that we've got to clearly define our terms because Mormons do all they can to really mask their true identity and beliefs and do all they can to be accepted as another Christian denomination. And why would they want to do that, Pat, when they consider that we are a part of the great apostasy? Well, this really boggles my mind. Why do Mormons seek so hard to get our approval? I don't really go looking for the Mormons' approval. I, I don't need it. But yet the Mormons, they seem to have this desire to have the approval of people like us. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. This concludes part one of Pat's interview with Bill McKeever as they discuss the Mormon Church and beliefs. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. Log on to our website at evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available for you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions for more than 20 years. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us here next time on the air or online for more evidence and answers. <laughs>